Amen. Praise God. Good morning, everybody. So good. Let's, uh, let's thank our worship team one more time. That was just awesome. So good. We are, we are really, really spoiled. We have a lot of awesome musicians and just kind of artists in general uh, in our community here. So we're, we're spoiled by them uh, for sure. So we are so glad that you're here. And again, if you're new, I uh, just want you to know we love new people at Hope. And whether it's your first time here or your hundredth time here, uh, we want you to know how thankful we are that you've chosen to join us this morning. Uh, I'm kind of catching my breath uh, a little bit. It has been an amazing weekend uh, so far. This is actually our first weekend uh, that we had our, uh, our first ever Saturday night service last night, and it was full. So praise God for that. That was awesome. Um, I know a few of you uh, a few of you were maybe here, and after how great last night was and how full it was, I was like, oh man, I hope a few people come back tomorrow. <laughs> so thanks for coming. So there was more than four of us here that have the last name Annenson in my family, uh, and two of them are in diapers. I'm glad that more of you came uh, than that. We're really, really glad uh, that you're here. And so if you weren't here last night, we actually just wanted to give you a little taste um, of what it was like. We had some never-before-seen video footage that we've just captured here in the last few minutes, actually, of the worship band last night. And we have this new theme song for Saturday night. And so the band may look a little different and sound a little different, but this is like actual footage from last night's Saturday night worship service that we wanted to uh, show you. And feel free to clap along if the Spirit moves you uh, in that way. So let's take a look what happened last night. So just a little different kind of style on Saturday nights, obviously. How many of you have heard of the Bay City Rollers before right now? Okay, that makes me feel terrible. I found out about them three days ago. Um, that's when I discovered them. But uh, I won't ask you to date yourself if you, you know, where you were at when you heard those songs. I guess they're pretty famous. It's really catchy. So that's going to be our theme song for Saturday night. Every time we start the service, they'll come out and do the whole, we'll need one for Sunday too. But uh, uh, when you watch videos like that, it is very, very clear. It is very, very evident that times are changing. That times are changing, the way that we listen to music, the kind of music we listen to, and the way that we dress, although some things that were popular in the 70s are like now in fashion, my wife tells me again. So things come around in that way, but things change with the way we dress and culture, and especially the ways that we experience faith. The way that the church has responded to the changes in culture, it's especially the way that we worship and the way that we do church. Time changes things, actually. And I... Um, I was talking this past week with my dad, who's been a pastor for almost 40 years uh, now in a Lutheran church. He's only served two congregations, one for about a year and a half, <laughs> and then the one that I grew up in, he's been there for close to 40 years now, which is extremely rare uh, in the church world these days. And we were talking about the church that he uh, started after going through seminary, the very first church he was at, which is not that one, but looks very similar to that one over here, the small white church. Some of you probably grew up in a church that looks something like that. And so it was in kind of south central Minnesota in, in the heart of uh, Lutheran, Scandinavian, Norwegian world up there. I mean, Minnesota's so Lutheran that even the Catholics are Lutheran. I mean, it's just so, it's so Lutheran. But it was different. And in the 70s and 80s, uh, the thing was that there was unmistakably the church was at the center of town and everybody went to worship. It wasn't like, oh, I, we're going to be out of town or something. That's just the way things were in those days, about 40 years ago. Everybody went to church and you went to church at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning at this church because that's what, the way we've always done it, right? Famous last words in the church because that's the way we've always done done it. But that's the way that they were, and it was at 9 o'clock, and none of this, like, 11 o'clock stuff or, like, worshiping on a Saturday, I mean, that's just for heathens, right? You worship on Sunday, and then you go down and you have 
uh, time in the fellowship hall, and it was the white building, with the building with a steeple and an organ, and the, the, the robes, and the pastor wore a robe, and all of that, and then because we're Lutheran, yeah, and we're Norwegian, yeah, we go down to the fellowship hall, and we have some bad church coffee and some cookies that the ladies made, and then if it's a special Sunday, we have some orange jello with some little chunks of pear in it, yeah, 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 sure, you betcha, and that was church, and that's what it meant to be Lutheran, and it was awesome. And hear me say that. It was awesome. Because Jesus Christ was lifted up. And in a lot of small Lutheran churches, which a lot of you came from, or smaller churches, or even if you didn't grow up in the church, God was still moving in those days. And I was talking to my dad, and almost 40 years later, here I am sitting as the pastor of a Lutheran church. That's the same. In a renovated former car dealership, wearing jeans, with a rock band and drums and a guitar, and we just had a service on a Saturday night. Hardly anything is the same, except one thing that has never changed and will never change, and that is the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That hasn't changed. And hear me say this loud and clear, in the world of churches, what we love to say around hope is that bigger is not better, smaller is not better, better is better. And by better, we mean more effective for the kingdom of God. There are some tiny little Lutheran churches that look exactly like that that are making an incredible impact for the kingdom of God. We are products of, I'm a product of that. And God is still moving. And I love how uh, the writer of Hebrews says it in in chapter 13. Let's read it together uh, up on the screen. Let's read this nice and loud. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, one of the reasons that Hope Des Moines exists as a campus is because one of our values, we have five values as a church that keep us on track, and one of them is this, that we worship God, not tradition. We worship God, not tradition, but I want you to understand our heart in that, so this is what the description says if you go online and read it. Where tradition helps us proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and where it furthers the mission of the church, we embrace it. So hear me say that. Tradition is a really good thing as long as it doesn't become traditionalism and we start worshiping our traditions instead of worshiping the God that created us, okay? And then the last line says, where tradition becomes a wall between God and his people, we seek to tear it down. We don't like to make it difficult for people to experience Jesus. And whatever barriers we can tear down to do that, we will do that. Our first service this morning, we had over 125 people here from local shelters and bus stops and under bridges and wherever we could pick them up. It's a come-as-you-are service because they don't have a choice whether it's a come-as-you-are service or not, right? Let's not make it difficult people to, for people to encounter Jesus. So you come as you are, not just in clothing, but in wherever you're at today, whatever you brought in here with you this morning. And so the thing is, is that very early on in Hope's history, I love this, that the leaders made a very conscious and intentional decision that we are not going to be defined as a church by a worship style. We're not going to be defined as a church by a worship time. We're not going to be defined as a church by where we worship and what the building looks like because we've been in schools and coffee shops and a strip mall and a car dealership. So we're not going to be defined by that either. What we're going to be defined by is the mission. Everybody say mission. That trumps everything else. So if we have a decision to make, we're going to ask not what's easiest, not what's most comfortable. We're going to ask what's best for mission. And if you think about it, that's why churches grow when they do. Because in the early church, 
That's what happened. That's why the church exploded. Peter stood up in Pentecost in the book of Acts, and, he's, and it says that 3,000 people were, were cut to the heart and were saved that day. That's an amazing thing. But it doesn't go on to say, then they all gathered together, and the leader stood up and said, okay, who would prefer a nine or maybe an 815 traditional service with an organ? And how many of you new believers would prefer more of a contemporary service, you know, maybe with a harp or something like that? How many of you would, you know, they didn't ask those things. Like, it wasn't even on their radar because they were so consumed with the love of Jesus Christ how it changes our lives and all those other things that we get in arguments and and bicker about as church people fall to the wayside and Jesus comes to center stage. Because that's what it's about, is helping people connect with Jesus' love. That's why we exist as a church. And that's why this current series that we're in, really for the whole year at all of our campuses, is called Refresh. Everybody say, Refresh. It just feels good to say that. Refresh is based on this verse from Acts chapter 3, 19 and 20, where Jesus, uh, we're, we're asking this question, what would it look like, what would it look like to be refreshed? Not just physically or mentally, but spiritually, but spiritually. And I, I know I've asked this before, but it, it's worth repeating. I haven't talked to anybody recently that when I asked them, hey, how are you doing? Very few people respond, I couldn't be better. I get 12 hours of sleep a night. I am absolutely refreshed. I am overjoyed. I get so much rest. I don't need a nap. The the kids always behave. Family's great. Work's great. Everything's wonderful. I am completely refreshed and filled up. Never heard anybody say that. More often than not, when I ask people how they're doing, they say, tired or busy? Neither of which is God's heart for you. If that busyness leads to an addiction to busyness and and living life hurried where you miss what God's wanting to do in your life. And most often than not, when we're not refreshed, we feel far away from God. And I would imagine that there are some of you that are here today that feel like this far apart from God. Maybe you've never been connected to him in a relationship, and for some of you, maybe you were, and then you've kind of drifted. He's not the one that left. You know, he's always been there, even when you've wandered. And I just maybe have a feeling that for some of you, there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with that. Ever feel like you take one step forward and then two steps back in life? And I've been there. And for some of you, that's what you're feeling today. It's like, I I fell down, (laughs) I messed up. There's maybe some shame from what happened last year or last month or maybe five minutes ago when you got an argument with your spouse on the way to church because that's never happened to me. But there's a lot of shame associated with that. And some of you feel like you fell down and you know what God says to you? You know what Jesus says to you this morning? (laughs) Get back up. I've already forgiven you. No, no, you don't understand. I, I, I fell down. Get back up, he says. Get back up. My grace is right there where you fell. Get back up and I want to refresh you. And the verse goes on to say, so that your sins may be wiped out. I mean, I'm going to give you a fresh start. Like, it doesn't matter what happened. I've already forgiven you. And then, not only am I going to forgive your sins, I'm going to fill you up. I'm going to bring refreshment to your life. I'm going to fill you up with the Holy Spirit, which so many of you experienced just a few weeks ago here. We just made this random call. If anybody wants to be baptized at all of our campuses, come on up. And so I just kind of went out on a limb and said, hey, if anybody wants to come up and experience the living water of Jesus and be connected to him. I rolled up my sleeves hoping maybe one person would come up, maybe, and one did. And then 51 more 
And we had 52 baptisms a couple weeks ago, just on the spur. Yeah, you can clap for that, absolutely. Praise God. Just spur of the moment. Because when the Spirit moves, people's lives are changed. And then this strange thing happened. For a lot of you, I'm sure, that maybe had that kind of emotional and spiritual high, or you've come to a worship service, or heard a really good sermon. You get all fired up, and then you go home, and, and this strange thing happens. It's Monday. You know, and then you get a case of the Mondays. And then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then kind of by the end of the week, you were here with God, and now you feel like you're here. And you're like, what happened? And you discovered this truth that being refreshed by Jesus is not something that happens by accident. Being connected with him takes intentionality and time, just as any relationship. What other relationship in your life can you neglect and feel close to somebody? So it takes time and it takes intentionality. It happens by going back to the well of Jesus' living water over and over again. And last week we talked about how that happens, most importantly through prayer, which is just a conversation with God. And today I want to center our thoughts on his word and how we get refreshed through the Bible and why it's so important to get filled up by God's word. Now, chances are you've probably heard a sermon about how you should read your Bible, right? How many of you have heard, heard a pastor give a sermon about why you should read your Bible, right? Chances are there, the word should was in there a lot. Nobody likes to, have, to be should on, okay? Right? I may get fired for saying that, but right? You're like, don't should on me, okay? And that's because following Jesus should be a delight instead of a duty. I don't like to have somebody say, you should do this. There's no joy in that. There's no life in that. How many of you have started, or maybe your New Year's resolution was to start a Bible reading plan, right? And how many of you have completely failed in that? I know I have, because it's hard. And there's some barriers that get in the way of that. But what if I told you that it could be different? And I'm not just saying this because I'm the pastor and I get paid to tell you that you should read your Bible and I read it every day and it's great and it's amazing and I understand everything about the book of Leviticus and I just, it's amazing. No, I struggle with it too. And there's times that I feel dry, that I feel disconnected, but it doesn't have to be that way because times of refreshing are available. What if you couldn't wait to read God's word? What if it was like the highlight of your day every day? I got a little picture of what this looks like. I was thinking about it this past week. Uh, in the last couple months, the Annenson family has discovered uh, something amazing uh, that we've moved into um, the, the 2000s now. We do have television, so we did have that uh, before. We, now we've moved into the 2000s, and we discovered this thing called Netflix. Now, <laughs> by the way, how many of you have discovered this evil thing? So I discovered Netflix, and even more than that, There's this show called The West Wing, people. Where have I been? Like, I don't know what I was doing during this time. I don't know what, starting a church maybe. I just missed this. This is like the highlight of my life. It's the the perfect blend of action and romance, you know, sprinkled with a little bit of drama. You know, it's really, really good. And it's kind of addictive to the point where it's maybe getting a little unhealthy for me. But like, I just love this show and I'm so connected to it. And and, and the Netflix is so addicting because it's like, the next episode will start in eight seconds. And I'm like... It's one o'clock in the morning. Why not, right? You know, you know, you know, right? And so I'm just hooked to it and so much to the, to the fact that when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about like, can I squeeze an episode in before I have to go to work, you know? And I'm laying in bed at night like, oh, what's going to happen to Bartlett's administration? And it's a political show and that whole thing. And I'm just hooked on it so much so that my wife Tiffany is like kind of my conscious 
with it, and like we should really go to bed. Like the kids are in bed, they're gonna be up in three hours probably. We should really go to bed. I'm like, maybe just 20 minutes? You know, I'm like a little kid, you know, I'll just stay up a little bit longer just to watch the West Wing. Some of you are like, he's weird, I'm not coming back. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just normal. Because then I got to thinking, what if it was like that with God's word? What if when you woke up in the morning, the first thing on your mind was, man, I can't wait to be with God. You know, just like your favorite TV show, like the reason we watch is because you can't wait to see what happens next. What if, that, what if that was the way your relationship with God? You're like, I just can't wait to see what God is going to do next. And he, the way he shows up through his word and through prayer, and I'm just so hungry for his word, and you lay awake at night just thinking about it. Scripture talks about that, particularly in the Psalms. David's like, I think about your word day and night. It's constantly on my mind. You're in my dreams. You're in my thoughts. I just long to be with you. It's in love with you. And guys, by the way, that's a very manly thing. The most manly men are in love with God. And it impacts all of their relationships. What if it was that way with God's word? Well, it can be. That is a far cry from, how long does my quiet time need to be again? Did I get all the blanks filled out in my Bible study? Oh, then we've already missed the point. Then we've already missed the point. God has really good news for us this morning. If you're not there, and I'm not there all the time, got some really good news. It's in the, the, the scripture that we heard Laura read for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 31. We're going to be there just for a little bit. It's in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31. And if you don't know where that is, there's no shame in that. There's a table of contents for a reason. Or you can do the inconspicuous church lookup so you don't look bad and go like this. Just flip it through like that. Jeremiah chapter 31. It's in the Old Testament, which is going to be in the first third of your Bible. Jeremiah 31, 33, God says this, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and get this, I will write it on their hearts. And the good news is we are living in that time. All these prophecies are pointing to this time. This is it. Jesus has come, and he's offering us a new deal, a new covenant. He says, when you turn to me, God says, and experience my refreshing, I'm going to give you a brand new heart with brand new desires, and your heart is actually created to desire me. Just as a car is meant to run on fuel, you are meant to run on God. Just like Des Moines runs on Dunkin' Donuts, right? You are meant to run on God, like the fuel of your life. That's what fuels you. That's why Jesus says that God's word is our daily bread. We need to eat every day. Just like, why would you go through a day without experiencing God's word? In other words, you and I were created so that nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> it's close, but the West Wing is not going to refresh my soul. It gets me hooked, but it doesn't bring me life. Only God's word can do that. Because I was thinking at the end of the day, ultimately, what is the message I'm sending to the people around me with how I view this book? What is the message I'm sending to my children? What legacy am I leaving? It's been a, a difficult few weeks for us as a family, particularly my wife Tiffany's side of the family. Her grandma passed away last week um, at the ripe old age of 94 and a half. Because when you get to be 94, you count the halves. 
and uh, just a faithful, awesome woman of God, and just loved her church, loved her family, and she loved her Bible. And I had the honor of reading scripture at her funeral, which was actually yesterday, not just with any Bible, my Bible, but with her Bible. And it was a mess in a good way. It was used. None of this, like, never found that page before. I mean, it was highlighted and ripped and torn and underlined and highlighted again. And there was, like, 17 bookmarks all over it. And it was, like, the binding was falling apart. It was used because she loved God's word. And that's one of the legacies she's leaving with us. And so I was thinking about that, and as we were looking through her stuff this week, it just, it, it hit me, like, she's not taking anything with her. All of her kids and grandkids are going through her stuff, and someday, I know for those of you in your 20s and 30s like me, like, it's weird to think about someday your kids and your grandkids are going to be going through your stuff because none of it goes with you when you die. And they're going to be looking through your stuff going, what was, what was dad, daddy all about? What was grandpa? That was weird to think about. What was grandpa all about? The, the stuff that's left. Because I'm just going to tell you right now, you can't take your money with you. Your house, your car, your titles, your positions, your job, your accolades, your popularity, whatever it is, none of it goes with you. And at the end of the day, what's left is, did you have a relationship with the one that created you? And are you going to be with him forever or not? That's what it comes down to. Are you connected to him? And you can know that. You can know that you know today and be connected with him. Because at the end of the day, it was not, my grandma is with, or Tiffany's grandma is with Jesus today, and she is dancing with Jesus. I believe it. Not because she was a good person. Not because she was moral. Not because she went to church every week of her 94 and a half years. Not because she loved her family. All those things are all good. That's not what saves us. What saves us is what Jesus has done on that cross, not how good we are or what good works we do. Amen? That's why she's with Jesus. Someday, somebody's going to be sorting through your stuff and they're going to ask, what did this book mean to you? Like, I don't want my kids like looking at my stuff going, well... Grandpa's Bible is just full of dust because it sat on the shelf. And I want him to like look through it and just be used and tattered and worn because like I used it every day and they didn't just hear me talk about it. They saw me do it and the same person that I was on the stage is the same person I am on Tuesday night in our living room, the same person I am on Wednesday afternoon at the grocery store. I want to be the same person that loved God's word and didn't just read it but lived it. That's what I want him to find. What is your legacy going to be to your kids and grandkids? You know, it's weird to start thinking about that now, but I've heard it said the way that we live our days is the way that we'll live our weeks. And the way that we live our weeks is the way that we'll live our months. And the way we live our months is the way we'll live our years. And the way we live our years will be your legacy. So start now. Start now. But there's some barriers and there's some things that we often think that aren't true about God's word that get in the way of us getting there. And so what I want to do or I want to camp out for the rest of our time today is give you three reasons among many to ask God to give you a passion, a holy passion, to read the Bible, to dig into his word. Remember, he's already given you a heart that longs to do that, so just ask him for it. It's there. It's available to you. It's that pilot light he's put inside of you and he wants to take one of those big fans that you use for a fire and just blow on it and ignite faith in you again. 
So three reasons among many, and we're going to dig into 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we're going to do a little Bible study today. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is where we'll land for today. That's in the New Testament, by the way, almost at the very end. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I want you to open up to it so you have it in front of you. And we'll start with it up on the screen, and let's read it together nice and loud. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so what we're going to do is focus in on those highlighted words as our three reasons to know God's word. Number one, it is God-breathed. Everybody say, God-breathed. Meaning, the Bible is the inspired by the very heart of God. It's his words, not ours. And yes, he used human authors to write it, but it is literally the breath of God. Like no other book can claim to do that. You don't experience the living word of God when you open up Harry Potter. I'm sorry, right? It can't fill your soul like that. No other book can claim to be, as Hebrews puts it, living and active, To the point where when you open God's word, it's not like we don't worship the paper of the book. We worship the God who is alive and like jumps off the pages to you and you can have a relationship with him. God is always speaking and so the question is, are you listening? I hear so many people in conversation say, if only I knew what God wanted me to do, I would do it. What is God's will for our family? Am I making the right decisions with my kids? Where should I go to college? Should I marry this person? Where should I go to grad school? When should I retire? Do you know that God wants to speak to you about those things? Maybe not like, you're not going to like open up the middle of your Bible and like just do one of these things and like, oh, I should marry Jehoshaphat. No, like don't do that, right? But God's word contains wisdom for us. And here's the thing. If we don't know what God has done or how he spoke in the past, Why would we know how he wants to speak to us in the future? Just like an old friend that you have, that you know each other so well, or probably your spouse, you know how they're going to act in a certain situation, don't you? Like you can almost like respond for them, or you know what they're going to laugh at and what makes them cry, what they love, what they're passionate about. Why would it be any different in a relationship with God? You get to know God's heart and his character And that's how we learn to hear God's voice, okay? So that's the number one reason it is God-breathed. And secondly, the second reason we're called to know God's word is it is insanely relatable. Everybody say relatable. It is insanely relatable. So back to 2 Timothy. It says God's word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's so practical. I think one of the barriers that we often put up with God's word is that, yeah, it's just going to sit up on my shelf and collect dust, and we've got seven Bibles in our house, but we don't really use any of them. And we all know God used to speak, but he doesn't really speak anymore, right? But here's the beautiful thing. Every book in the Bible contains practical, timeless wisdom that has stood the test of time. God is using every word in the Bible to remind you, you are not alone. You're not so different. Just hypothetically, I'm sure none of you relate to any of these, but anybody ever struggled controlling your anger? Anybody ever had family issues? Read the story of Cain and Abel in the Old Testament. Anybody ever um, doubted yourself and wondered if you could be used by God in a significant way? Why don't you try on Moses in the book of Exodus? 
I know this is me for sure, but have you ever thought that maybe you screwed up too badly for God to take you back? You should talk to our friend Peter in the Gospels, who not only was forgiven for denying Jesus to his face, but was loved and forgiven and welcomed back and set on fire by his love. This book is so insanely practical that, I don't know, I'm just thinking of practical examples here, just, you know, off the cuff. What if, um, for instance, you needed some wisdom on, I don't know, how to live in a politically charged culture full of heated debates over who's right and wrong and where everybody has an opinion that, of course, is theirs and is right? Just for example, not that that applies to us here in Iowa at all. And how do you live in the world that we're living in right now as a follower of Jesus? How do you do that? One of the passages that I read at our grandma's funeral was 1 Corinthians 13. And as you think about the political climate that we live in, I mean, if you're not around that, just hop on Facebook. Everybody has an opinion, don't they? And it's usually full of hatred or bitterness or anger or trying to be right or who, who can be the loudest. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just a wedding verse. It's Think about it in the context of what's going to happen tomorrow. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, and I have a little different translation. Mine says, or if I have all the right arguments and spend all my time complaining about the other side. It, you don't have that in your Bible. That's just a little different translation. here. But have not love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if you want to know what that sounds like, we could make that happen. And it would be terrible. And the verse goes on, verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Does this describe you? It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And maybe we need to hear God's word more than ever. Even as culture goes this way, maybe God's word has never changed and we need it more than ever. Pastor Rick Warren is a pastor at Saddleback Church in California. He wrote a pretty famous book uh, called The Purpose Driven Life. And he once said this. I love this. I think this speaks to right where we're at in this political season. And just in our culture in general, he says this, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you have to agree with everything that they believe or do. Both are nonsense. I love that he's a pastor and he says, nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Just let that soak in for a second. So often we have accepted the lie that either I'm going to stand for truth and what I believe in, or I'm going to be accepting of where people are at and be loving and compassionate. And as followers of Jesus, so often we're torn. I, I don't know what political party. I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I don't know who to vote for. I, I, I don't even know like, what direction should I go because I want to stand for truth and what I believe in, but I also want to accept people and be compassionate. I'm torn, and Jesus is saying, you can be both because I was. They can coexist together. They, they, they don't have to be opposite. When Jesus encounters the woman that's caught in adultery, 
What does he say to her? He rescues her from the people that are going to stone her to death. He loves her well. He lifts her up in her guilt, in her shame, thrown naked in the public square. And what does he say to her? Is there nobody here to condemn you? Well, then neither do I. Compassionate. And then what does he say? Stop it. The life you're living, go and sin no more. Convictions and compassion. And two people that you would least expect to understand that and to get along discovered that very truth not too long ago. And I want to let this next video speak for itself about two of the most famous political figures in the political sphere here in our state discovered maybe there's a different way. Let's take a look. Well, a friend of mine passed away, and she was all about reconciliation, always about reaching out to people, and to unlikely people. When she passed away, I wanted to do something to honor her. And I thought, who would be the most unlikely person on the planet that I would reach out to? And it was Bob. Well, I'm the president and CEO of the Family Leader, and our mission statement is to strengthen families by inspiring Christ-like leadership in the home, the church, and government. I'm the executive director at One Iowa, which is the state's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender organization. Uh, I've been an activist and an advocate and sometimes an agitator in this movement for almost 30 years. Well, well Don and I, we see the world very differently uh, in our view on marriage, on sexuality, and probably on a host of a lot of other issues. I guess you'd have to say that my impression of Bob was not only he was the opposition, he was the enemy. Uh, I've probably made statements about her and her organization in the press. She's probably made statements about me and my organization in the press. We, we weren't natural allies. We weren't natural coffee buddies. And so she emailed the family leader and said, hey, I talked to Bob, and Bob said he'd be willing to do coffee. Let me know a good time of day. And so they shared that email with me like, uh, is this true? I mean, is this real? And I said, yeah, it's real, but I never thought she'd follow up on it. <laughs> I never thought that he would respond. And so we set a date uh, to have coffee. And that was the beginning of this amazing journey. I remember walking in just, just being very nervous. I had no idea what to expect, none at all. Well, you know, the skeptic in me thought she would have an agenda, and she probably thought I might have an agenda. But as soon as we sat down, I thought, she doesn't have an agenda. She just wants to get to know who I am. And that really compelled me to say, I should want to get to know who she is. I think when people have the courage to show you who they are, uh, something happens. And so what surprised me about Bob was his humanity. Uh, he's an incredible dad. I also found him to be really funny, and I didn't expect that at all. But we laugh, we laugh a lot. Uh, Don is a very good person. She's a passionate person. Uh, she has advocated for her issues tirelessly uh, for over three decades. So regardless if I agree or disagree with her on the issues, I have a tremendous respect for her. For a long time, I've been really tired of the hate and the aggression and the kind of snarkiness. We can disagree without being disagreeable. We can fight the good fight in the court of public opinion, but we don't have to hurt each other. That's, I think, the big 
takeaway for me. We don't have to hurt each other, because when we do that, we're hurting ourselves. We get coffee about once every couple of months. And I think with Donna, her and I readily assessed uh, that we have a lot of common interest. Uh, we have some common ground. The only regret in all of that is that I wasn't the one to ask her out for coffee. Uh, and she's the one who asked me out. And I'm glad she did, but I kind of feel like I should have. What surprised me was not that he liked me. I thought, yeah, he'd like me. What surprised me was I really liked him. It hasn't changed my beliefs. Uh, it, may have, it may have changed my approach because when we do put out a press release, when we do make a public statement, uh, many times I think, I wonder how Donna will view this. Here's the deal. If Bob and I can have coffee, if we can tell stories and laugh and get to know each other, if we can like each other, then I think almost anyone can find that person in their life and maybe they can reach out their hand and invite them in. I love it when uh, Donna says, you know, he was actually kind of funny. I don't know if she meant it this way, but I interpreted that as it's almost like I saw in a person that was supposed to be my enemy a person who has value and who was created in the image of God, which all of us are regardless of our disagreements. And if there's any place where that should be the norm, it's right here in the church that's full of broken, imperfect people and we could not be more diverse, I guarantee you. We could not be more diverse. We're just a bunch of imperfect people that long to be loved. And as 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, I want you to hear this. If we do not lead with love, we will undercut our ability to be heard. Does that make sense? If we do not lead with love in our conversations in the virtual world or the real world or in the church, if we do not lead with love in our disagreements, we will lose our platform to be heard, regardless of where you stand. So by all means, speak. Speak up for and stand up for what you believe in. By all means, vote. But let's do that in a way that builds up rather than tears down. And one of the things that I love about Hope at all of our campuses, especially here, is that our church is full of passionate voters and is full of more than a few elected officials from all, all political parties, including Bob in the video, who is a member of our Johnston Grimes campus. And still, we are one in Christ. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. That's because the Jesus that unites us will always be stronger than the politics that can divide us. The Jesus who unites us will always be bigger and stronger than the politics that can divide us. And that's the power of God's word. No matter what side of the aisle or the political spectrum you're on, we are desperate for God's word because you know what it does? It certainly, it certainly comforts the afflicted. But one of the things that's powerful about God's word is that it afflicts the comfortable. It afflicts, it, 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 afflicts, it challenges, it refines people that are on either side of the aisle and says, you know what, maybe I need to, to listen more and speak less. 
Maybe I need to be a little bit more compassionate and lead a little bit more with love. Maybe my worldview is not perfect and it's okay once in a while to let it be challenged. It doesn't mean that you're changing your views. It means that you're leading with love and listening well. And what our culture desperately needs is not people that have bigger and stronger and louder voices. What our culture needs more than anything, they may not know it, they need the church to be the church. And they need the church to not to sell out to one political party or another. They need the church to focus on Jesus and get their hands messy in people's lives and giving them hope because that's something that Jesus Christ can offer that nobody else can. Amen? The Jesus that unites us is stronger than the politics that can divide us. We need God's word. It's his breath. It's insanely relatable. And last but not least, it launches us into mission. 2 Timothy 3.16, again, it says, we, we, we need God's word so that the servant of God might be equipped for every good work. It doesn't say, please use your Bible as a weapon to quote random verses on Facebook and attack people. The purpose of the Bible is to equip us to go be people of action, to not be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, to not sit around and say, well, I've got two books of the Bible completely memorized, so I'm holier than thou. You know what going deep is? Going deep is what you do, not how much you know. Going deep is how much of the Bible you do. You do. I want to have less Bible studies and more Bible doings. That's what it means to be the church. We need both. It launches us into mission, and it's, it brings us back to where we started. It's about the mission. It's about the mission, and maybe it's more important to remember than ever this week. Lives are changed by your example, not your opinions. People's lives are not changed by your opinions, they're changed by your actions. And what would it look like if we as the church were known more for what we're for rather than what we're against? We are for people. We are for people getting to know Jesus Christ. That's what we're for. Last Sunday, I had two guys come up to me from a, a recovery house here in Des Moines called the Door of Faith. And these guys worshiped with us at our 915 service today and came to Breakfast Club. And they've been coming for, for four or five years now since they entered into this recovery program. And this is their last step. And they invited me to their graduation. They said, we really want you and your family to be there. I said, I would love to. I'll clear my schedule. I'll be there. For 14 years of his life, drugs, alcohol, you name it. And consume it. He said, now... I'm five years clean. I've got a lead on a job. I got my GED and I've got a place to stay. And so they're going to be moving out of the shelter as a lot of our folks have and have become members of the church. And I was kind of joking with them. I said, like, and I kind of hit them on the shoulder. I was like, hey, you know, when you leave the shelter, don't be a stranger, you know, like, come back. And he goes, are you kidding me? Of course I'll be here. This is my family. Because here's where I was loved and accepted for who I was, not for who I would be. For where I was right now, because as a church, we became more about who we're for rather than who we're against. That's what it means to be the church. That's the mission that we've been given, to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. It's why we do what we do. Because to reach people that nobody else is reaching, we gotta do things that nobody else is doing. Like have a service on a Saturday 
or pick up people at bus hubs and shelters and under bridges or have donut holes or have a rock band or wear jeans or fill every food pantry in central Iowa during the biggest money grab Sunday of the year because we're different. That's what the church offers to the world. My challenge to you this week, get to know this book and more importantly, get to know the God of this book and let him change your life forever. Amen? So today we're not just going to talk about it, we're going to do it. And so I was watching that video this week and I was like, we can't just watch that. We, like, If they can do that, we can do that here in the church. So I'm going to pray and then after I pray, I'm going to dismiss you and before you leave, don't rush out of here. Lunch will be there when it's there for you. I want you to find one other person. I want you to find one other person that you don't know in this room, which chances are there is. And I want you to get to know them really quick. I want you to learn each other's names. And then I want you to tell each other, what's one thing that you learned today? What's one thing that God did in your heart today? What's one thing you heard God say to you? One thing that stuck out to you from the worship or the message today? And then you can be on your way. Go get connected. Go talk to Amanda at the Nook. Go find your place in our church community. But first, slow down and find somebody completely different from you and realize we're all on the same team and have a conversation with them. That's my challenge to you, okay? So let's stand and let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. Father, you are amazing. You are amazing. And so I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, that we would be doers of the word, that we would be people not just of opinions but of examples, people of character and people of integrity. God, we do pray for our nation and we pray for our state and we pray for our city. And most importantly, we pray that your name would be known, that your name would be lifted high, that people would find hope and healing that's only found in you and help us to be agents of that hope and of that love this week. God, fill us up, refresh us to overflowing so that we can share your love with the world and the city around us. And we pray all of this in your name. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Go ahead and find a partner, get to know each other. Go be the church. We'll see you next week.